to the Atlanta Real Estate Podcast, the show where we explore the stories behind the people and personalities that make up Atlanta real estate. We interview top producing agents, mortgage lenders, builders, contractors, investors, everyone in between to share their secrets of success and meet the key players driving the Atlanta housing market. I'm your host, Mike Lacey. I'm a top producing real estate agent with Sotheby's International Realty, in addition to being a real estate investor in the Atlanta area. In today's episode, you will hear the story of Matthew and Soraya Schneider. In addition to being two of the most genuine and authentic people that I know, they have founded the Centropic Real Estate Team, which is their team of real estate agents focused on regenerative real estate. In this episode, we're going to take a deep dive into the cross-section of real estate and food production. Matt and Soraya both have a background in farming and have leveraged that knowledge to develop expertise around fascinating topics such as homesteading, regenerative real estate, food forests, and a topic that we're going to coin as food hacking. Some of these concepts are even new to me as well, despite being in the business. So come along with me on this journey as we learn more about how we interact with our homes and the land around us. So without further ado, let's get into the show. Matt and Soraya, thank you all for being here. Thank you, thank you for, so having much us. for having us. Yeah. yeah, genuinely so excited. I think you guys have such an interesting niche of expertise when it comes to real estate and homesteading and some of these topics, obviously you help you know other people, like normal people buy and sell houses as well. But I think these are topics that are very interesting and are going to become more prominent over the next few years. And I think there are people out there that are going to find it really interesting. So let's start with just um, the name. What is Centropic Real Estate? That's a really good question. Uh, the name is actually referring to the agricultural practice that was the most regenerative practice that we had stumbled upon in our farming backgrounds. Um, so syntropic agriculture is a practice that's predominant in South America, Brazil, coined and created by a man named Ernest Gosch. And he is spreading that practice worldwide as we speak, and it largely is not um, prevalent yet today in North America uh, or in the United States, maybe mostly in Hawaii. Uh, maybe I've seen a farm in Florida and some other areas and locations. However, I don't know of anyone practicing it in Georgia. So when we merged our business and switched from Keller Williams to EXP and decided to brand and partner with Latitude Regenerative Real Estate, we had to find a name. And that was uh, difficult. <laughs> so Centropic was the first word that really just like sprang to our minds and we ran with it. And so it's really just the name of our small team right now. We haven't even really tried to brand ourselves with it. Hopefully one day we will, especially as we maybe successfully marry agriculture with real estate. It makes a ton of sense. One thing that I know about your story and your journey is that it really is an ecosystem. So the same way an ecosystem will have plants and water and bugs and animals that all interact with each other in some sort of way. I think of the same thing with you all in regards to your business as real estate agents, the property that you own, what you're planning on doing with it. It all relates in some way. Just out of curiosity, what's the nuts and bolts version of syntropic farming versus other methods? It's a great question as well, because this whole week and past week, we've really been trying to brainstorm the idea of a course around what we're practicing, which we consider syntropic, but really just launched by syntropic training. 
And largely it's philosophical. And, and what I mean by that is like, it's non-exclusive. So instead of spraying pesticides and fertilizers, it's understanding that we're a part of a system that's very intelligent and we're better off watching and learning from that system and enhancing that system versus injecting what we want or an outcome that we are seeking. And so if a pest shows up, it's actually learning or seeking the understanding of why that pest has arrived and why it is eating the plant that it's eating and maybe what we could have corrected or done differently. And so it's in some ways it's 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 a practice we're still learning and practicing in, on our farm and our garden and at our property. And to piggyback off of that, you know, one of the principles that is true both in the farming world and in our business is it really relies on collaboration versus competition. Like competition doesn't necessarily exist in that farming system. Like there's a reason or a purpose or a function for that um, pest or insect or what have you um, that's there. And we're the same way. I think even amongst other real estate agents, it's very much collaboration, not competition. Um, another way to think of it is if you were looking at Centropy versus entropy. So right now we follow this idea that all things sort of lead to chaos and randomness and disorder, and that's really how our system functions. However, in centropic real estate, it's centropy. So within the system, things are actually gaining more complex order and pattern and complexities, um, but over time that leads to yielding more abundance that makes sense. It makes total sense. Um, I think of entropy as just the fact that the universe is always expanding, right? Uh, but then at some point it's going to collapse. And I think as we dive into more of your journey, uh, we'll see syntropy. We'll see ways in which you're starting to build things that are collaborative and are cooperative and build on top of each other. Um, so there's so many different ways we can go and things I want to cover. Let's start with your property because from what I know about your story, it's almost emblematic of some broader things that you're building. Talk to us a little bit about when you bought it, what your intention was, and how you have developed it. Not in necessarily a literal sense, but in in what it's becoming for you and, and what you're doing with it. I want to let Soraya answer this. And before I do, put in a great plug for real estate. We got really lucky. We had the chance to buy a home because Soraya had a W-2 job and that looked steady to the man. And we ran with it, and I'll let her tell the rest. However, just getting that chance and opportunity was a game changer for us. Yeah, so I think we knew the importance of home ownership at that time with Matthew, you know, getting into real estate. And for us, in our search, it was primarily the land that we were looking for. We knew we wanted at least an acre, um, and we were looking at smaller lots, I think, even than that. And we also knew that we wanted a decent house. And so the location was variable for us. We weren't tied to a location knowing that as long as it was a good enough opportunity that provided both land and house. Now, Matt had also gotten in with the idea of like um, the house hack. So we were also looking for the ability to rent out a part or portion of our home with an in-law suite. And so that really has become sort of an emblem of like what our model and framework is and Back then, I was very focused on getting into the house, <laughs> where now I feel like in a development term, and I'll let Matt speak to more of the agriculture piece, but it really has allowed us um, a few different opportunities. One, to practice our type of agriculture to where we're not looking at 
our products as a dollar sign, but rather growing things in harmony with nature, not having to worry about the money aspect. So leveraging real estate in that regard. And I really feel like it's, we're, I mean, we're working on this part, but showing a more like raw gorilla way of getting to wealth and providing something really beautiful and resilient for communities and affordability all around. Um, So there's, I could go into a million different things of that, but you talk about food security, equitable food systems. I think it can help tackle all of that. Um, And it started with being able to leverage and rent out a portion of our home. Yeah, for me, I'm still amazed that we can sit here today with interest rates being 6%, 6 6.5%, 7%, whatever they might be. And if I had the opportunity to buy a house, I would buy one yesterday, and I would have hopefully had the seller pay my closing costs, and I would have bought a house that has an in-law suite and some land. And I would have, you know, I I saw a property just yesterday for three seventy-five with a beautiful in-law suite that I could acceptably live in the basement, the two of us. Uh, Even if I had children, I would be happy living in that basement, and I can rent out the house for $2,500 on a... 375 that well, I'm walking out the door probably if I ask them to pay utilities a thousand dollars at most a month for home ownership costs plus I just gained access to 2.8 acres of land within 30 minutes to the city of Atlanta everyone should be running anyone who's looking for a homestead come to Atlanta the opportunities are here you can get some land you can rent out a portion of your home you can help pay for that land and hopefully free up some of your time to pursue the homesteading dream. I think more people should pursue it. I love this so much. I want to pull out a couple things just to make sure our our audience understands. Number one is the value of house hacking. We've both done this, right? I did it with a traditional duplex where you live on one side, rent out the other. You all did it with an in-law suite in the basement, which had its own access, its own bedroom, its own bathroom, its own kitchen. So you could rent that out, get some income coming in and help cover your mortgage. I think it's a great strategy. Not enough people do it. You have taken it multiple steps further by seeing additional value in the asset. And that's a very capitalistic way of saying it, right? It's a property. It's a piece of land. It's a lot more to it. But you see value beyond that. I think a lot of people, whether they're investing or looking at a home for whatever reason, they don't see past the surface level. The surface level is it's a house with this many bedrooms and this much square feet. But what you've done is you found something that is generating income from the in-law suite has land, you're growing food on it, and you're starting to see these other ways that it can not only be more productive, but generate more income, generate food, generate other things. Talk to us a little bit about um, the food that you're that you're growing on your land. Yeah, that all relates back to Centripede because it wouldn't be possible without those practices. And what I mean by that is we practice a lazy man style of farming which requires as minimal man hours as possible so you're not out there watering your plants they're rain fed and that's like across the board and you're not there to like overly protect your plants if a pest shows up shows up you just lose that part of the crop and so in practicing that we're able to cover an acre while also run a real estate business while also you know pursue other things of interest Um, and so on the outside oftentimes it appears like we're doing a lot and in in some ways we are however we're letting nature work on our on our behalf and so what that means is like uh, we've planted 
well over probably a hundred trees on our property at this point and have many, many more to plant. And the hope and the goal is that we're planting trees that are um, going to succeed and be very healthy and happy and produce a lot of fruit. And uh, the goal is there to yield and a specialty crop that not many other farmers are growing, even on a small acre and sell that to specialty stores or have as client gifts for our real estate business and also provide to our Airbnb. So kind of like layering this mutually perennial production of food onto our real estate business, our Airbnb business, as well as starting a new line of income with specialty stores through restaurants and specialty grocery stores and whatever outlets maybe uh, we're looking at developing an online business that can sell the products as well. Yeah, and to that, I know Matt and within Centropic Agriculture, perennials are a big deal, right? Like we still grow our annual vegetables. However, our main focus is the fruit trees and things that will come back year after year. So over time, you're actually putting less maintenance, but still gathering more of an abundance. So again, like going back to that idea of what Centropy is, it's like over time, less work (laughs) and more yield. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. I was about to say like you're planting seeds for the future. You're very literally planting seeds for the future, right? Similar to real estate, from an outside perspective, it seems like farming takes patience, It takes making decisions today for your future self that won't pay off immediately, delaying gratification, and yet it compounds, right? Because you plant a tree today and take care of it, that's going to produce fruit in year two, three, four, five. Like it's only going to keep growing, right? And if there's seeds and you plant those seeds, now you have more trees. So similar to some of the principles behind real estate investing, you can see in in sort of farming or homesteading as well. I do have a couple maybe basic questions that I'm curious about. What's the difference between a homestead and a farm and a garden? Are these somewhat interchangeable or what can you say about that? I think they're all interchangeable and whichever word is really speaking to you to describe the situation. And I think I just use them interchangeably based on like how I've kind of like in reading or in talking with other people, how other people have used them. I would say a homestead is really any any house site where you're choosing to seek residence for the majority of your time in Georgia by the case of the homesteading, the homesteading act. Uh, and you may or may not choose to participate in the, the, the ecology that's surrounding your house. And the goal for us is to get more and more people participating in it. And hopefully, uh, I think through creating a course, figuring out the crops that are highly successful, minimizing the cost of any installation, having training videos to teach people, this is largely our goal and in, in marrying that with our, our real estate business. Yeah. For me, the word homesteading, I think it really helps transition into the from home ownership to home stewardship. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really describing more of like that interaction or reciprocity between you, your built environment and the land. If you know, if you're into that. I love it. I'm genuinely interested myself. I don't know that with the properties we have, if the land is lends itself to to be farmed to any sort of extent. But I guess that's a question you can maybe speak to is like, how accessible is this? I mean, you guys have a background of being farmers. How accessible is it for someone that doesn't have that background or maybe doesn't have a huge plot of land 
what are some of the, not maybe requirements, but things, factors that would lend themselves to making this easier to pull off? Uh, the first the first factor is it's accessible almost exclusively everywhere. And what I mean by that is like from extreme sun to extreme forest canopy, there's almost certainly something that can be grown. Um, now, if you're in a condo on the 17th floor and you only have a balcony, yeah, people are still doing it. And there's tons of YouTube videos out there that you could go like balcony food growth and people, you would find tons of videos. Um, I would say the, the number one criteria is the desire or like the, the want from anyone to participate. Yeah, accessibility actually does come to mind because for us, I mean, yes, as young farmers, we were, you know, really heartbroken because it takes a lot to get going and to start your own farm. Um, so for me, it made it more accessible. And I still think that it is accessible for anyone, like you said, who wants to. And it doesn't have to be food production, but it can still just be the questioning of like, what does this land want? Like really just opening the idea of thinking about that relationship differently than just, you know, your four walls and a roof. <laughs> totally makes sense. So I guess walk me through this. A buyer comes to you and says, I'm interested. I have that that fire to do some sort of homestead, grow some food on the land. What sort of things do you look for in a property as far as the land, the soil, the slope matter, anything that you would that would come to mind there? I would say it largely comes down to what it is that they're looking to do with that property, whether it's maximize, you know, their their ability to live for free. So the cash flow from the separate unit, or is it to have land, which we're searching for more and more people who want land and access to land. So if you know anyone, send them our way. Um, it's most of the people we find are searching mostly for the real estate at this time in our in our pool of clients however i think over time we will grow hopefully with even more people looking for land as well and we've had some clients that have gotten on some land you know out in conyers and whatnot and i think there's that barrier that you know i hope that we can provide that guidance for of saying hey we are interested in this and we don't really know where to start and sometimes often you get to a place you fall in love you get that pull on the heartstrings feeling and then you say, okay, going back to like, what does this land want? And sometimes that speaks to you in a way that, or your buyer, you know, say, okay, we could plant pawpaws here. Or maybe I really want a wildflower field with pollinators here or, you know, allowing that opportunity. I love that. So especially in Atlanta, one thing I'm curious about is, you know, I think people, there are a lot of people out there that'll be interested in this and think I would love to grow some food on my land, maybe have an herb garden, something like that. So I want some space. But I also want to be close to the city. And obviously, the closer you get to the city, the more dense it is. There's more condos. There's smaller plots. You know, in order to get a decent-sized lot, you might have to go a little further out. Are there any cities or areas around Atlanta that marry these two desires really well, where you can get a good-sized lot, but it's still not necessarily far from the city center? I find the cheapest locations um, located around Mableton, Austell, South Fulton, Palmetto, even though, you know, you do have some higher affluent areas in those locations as well, all the way over to Conyers. Obviously, if you get out to Douglasville, you're starting to look at some really, you know, I think really affordable land and estates um, with several acres. 
in in regards to like site specific characteristics it really comes down to what you're trying to grow and you know i think in most locations if you're thinking food forest that's capable everywhere east of the mississippi so we're good um i think it'll probably if we get the right species in there I think most people would find they have success. If you're as gung-ho about finding land as we were, it's also as simple and as fun as like just using that as your filter in the MLS and seeing what comes up and it's like, how far is that? Could I live there? You know, if that were like your priority, um, you know, I've gotten clients under, or they have a beautiful home in Forest Park with on two acres. You never know what kind of gems pop up uh, super close to the city center. So there are there are those little pockets everywhere and you'd be surprised like this is an acre or even three quarters of an acre you can still do a lot with that yeah totally true i think a lot of people don't realize how big an acre is because they think it's one this is one acre but when you actually see a piece of land that's one acre big that's big i mean unless it's totally covered in trees or other weird features like if that's you know open land that's that's a lot of space to work with i don't know i don't have my math calculations down perfectly however I think it's approximately 300 and it's 43,000 square square feet for uh, an acre. Is that correct? I think it's a, roughly 300 trees per an acre of a lower canopy species. That's a ton of trees. That is a ton of trees. Even if the house is taking up a small footprint of that. Yeah. So interesting. All right. I want to talk about food hacking. So this is something we've been talking about. I was thinking about this the other day. And I realized just how smart it is to grow your own food from a financial perspective. Obviously, people that know me, watch my content, listen to the podcast, know that a lot of my love for real estate comes at that angle of how it can be a vehicle for building wealth, how it can help you save money, how it can help you retire early, live a life by design, et cetera, et cetera. And we talked about the concept of house hacking, which is you're renting out a basement or a couple rooms of your house so that you can have other people help pay for your mortgage. So you're eliminating one of the biggest, if not the biggest expenses on your personal budget. Well, when we go to the grocery store and I notice that my food bill is going up and up, I was thinking, how do you ever eliminate your food bill? Everyone needs to eat. You can't eliminate that. And I was like, Matt and Soraya are doing that. Matt and Soraya are doing that. By growing a lot of your own food, you can eliminate huge portions of your grocery bill. And as the cost of food continues to get higher and higher, I think more people will almost be forced to consider this. Do you see this as like an ongoing trend and a, and a good way to actually save money? I mean, it's, can you realistically save hundreds of dollars? Can you really live off the land? Can you really live off the land? You can get very close. <laughs> there will obviously still be the things that you might want to get. Like right now, it's still olive oil and grains and things of that sort, right? Um, and protein. You know, I think it definitely can affect your grocery bill and more importantly importantly affect your health so like while food costs are going up i also am in my opinion think that a lot of the food nutrition is going down so the nutritive value of our food in the grocery store isn't also you know very great knowing its practices in factory farming or large conventional farming um so for me it's for me, it's actually more of a like spiritual relationship of being able to harvest our spinach or our greens and have, again, like I go back to that relationship to the land and knowing that there's such a life force to our food 
and having the ability to share that with people and knowing that this is like truly medicine because there's just so much love it's like you know when you've had a meal and like grandma cooked it or mom cooked it and you're like oh shit was so good you know but then like imagine someone growing it for you like taking it that step further there's there's love to that you know and so I'm coming from the like nutrition standpoint I think of how beneficial I think it is and I think that you know, we can definitely get closer to full subsistence living or at least just bringing that idea into the home, you know? For me, I'm very, very hopeful that we can, Sarai and I, influence more people to step into homesteading or growing some of their food over the course of our lives. Like, I really, that's that's a main... I want more, like, to encourage more people to participate in growing some of their food my worry is the this crazy economic principle that I learned when I was taking, you know, school studies. And I, I don't remember the professor or the grade or the class. It was somewhere in there. And the, the principle was that as people start to make more money and become more affluent, which is what we have, you know, hopefully more people stepping into in the United States over time. They spend less of that expenditure or less of that money that they're now making on food. Like a smaller and smaller portion continues to go towards food as their income gets above the the level of their needs being met. And so the moment people start to become wealthy or rich and have expendable income, it goes away from food and towards goods and services. And so my, my question is, if it becomes trendy, I think it has to become not actually a wealthy movement. I think it has to become an underswell movement. And that's really the people that could, I think, drive this forward because they're the ones who actually, I think, plan to benefit the most. Because if you imagine the wealthy people, their food expenditure is what it is. Like they can afford all the, f- the fanciest of the fancy, which still like if you're growing food in your backyard, it's better than what they can afford. And so if the poor person or the person with very little money, who a huge chunk of their money has to go towards their food and grocery bill every single month, if we can get them growing their own food and they reduce their expenditure, now they have some extra money to maybe invest or do something else with. The question is, do they have the time, the willpower? Can we get more people access to land, the tools they need, the knowledge they need, the seeds they need, the plants, the trees? Uh, I do think it has to be an underswell movement, though, because I think it, it, people, people want, they need to have to have the want Otherwise, this work is often too hard or or we need machines that can really help simplify it and cost a couple hundred bucks that people could buy. Yeah, I think just to that note real quick, you know, I also just want to acknowledge because I know we mentioned like rich and poor and food deserts are very much a thing and grocery store redlining is very much a thing, right? So historically in locations that may have been redlined due to racial segregation also may showcase even still to this day food deserts of grocery stores with less options you know oftentimes no organic options no you know and really just poor choice and not as many vegetables as you may see you know a grocery store in more affluent areas these grocery stores aren't investing in places of you know low socioeconomic status so it that's also that's a reality in where we live I mean, all you have is a food depot, <laughs> you know? And so I really think there is a strengthening to community that comes with that as well, of just everybody around opening the environment of like, just come pick some fruit. <laughs> We're yeah, sharing not to.
shit on grocery stores, but they all suck. Like Whole Foods to Fresh Foods down to Food Depot. And the best one is the farmer's market near us, yeah, I find. And, and, and your local farmer's market, plug to them. However, I still, I still get frustrated that so many small-scale farmers are forced to uh, fall into the hands of the man, which prescribes pesticides and fertilizers organic they're organic however they're still in high concentrations and i think there is a system like the real estate model where you plan for 30 years and you look at the system not extractive year after year and instead you you're looking at the the field as a placenta that's going to mature into a full grown forest in 30 years or you know a house that is going to stand there and solely be loved and cared for over the next 30 years and be a great investment for you that's such a good point because i'm sitting here like i don't have the farming background right i'm interested in growing some of my own food i think it's amazing to be able to go in your backyard pluck off a fresh piece of fruit and like it tastes different it feels different to your point and yet it's also work as you mentioned but when you compare it to home ownership, it's again very similar, right? Home ownership is work. When there's an AC that's out, or if you're having some issue that needs to be repaired, it's like, well, that's home ownership. And yet we all do it anyway because we know the benefits that come with it. We understand how it can be a source of freedom and independence. And again, it's ability to generate wealth. So I guess you kind of take the good with the bad, right? There's never a free lunch. Um, but if it's like, if you're wanting those benefits of growing food, then yeah, it just takes a little bit of work and that's what you're signing up for. Yeah. I was going to add, I, I, I agree. And that's, that's the best part is it can be any size. And for me, my, 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 my practice right now is seeking to know the formula. Like I want to know if it's a quarter acre and it's full sun and you're in, you know, in Georgia within a 45 mile radius like how much money do I think you can make per quarter acre? You know, if you're in shade and you don't have a lot of sun and, you know, you have selective crops that you can choose from, how much can you make from a quarter acre? Like I want to have those, I want to have those answers for people. Like I'm really curious to figure out that equation. It's so funny you say that because I had a very similar line of thought and was going to ask you some questions so we can like work through this all together yeah. because again, I don't have this experience. So I ate some blueberries before this episode. I'd been on my Gary V eating some blueberries, superfood, and you guys have a blueberry bush or multiple, right? Mm -hmm. Let's walk through one example. Act like I know nothing, right? Okay, so I want to plant a blueberry bush. What am I going to pay up front for the seed or the bush? Probably if you're getting like a known variety from a store, anywhere from 25 to 40 bucks a plant. And those, how mature are those plants? Probably at least a year, probably like two years, a year to two years, I'd say in a pot, probably like a one gallon sized pot you could be getting. Okay. So I go to the store and I buy this blueberry bush that's one or two years old. Uh, it's not just a little seedling anymore. It's coming along. I go home and I plant it in a place that makes sense and gets the right amount of sunlight and everything. Are there any extra costs to getting it planted? Yeah, let's call it a bag of compost, so another seven fifty, and uh, you're gonna have to water it. So that's on your water bill. You probably won't notice the difference, and you gotta cover it with some organic material. Let's say you didn't have that. Let's say you bought a, a thing of hay or straw. So you spent another six bucks there. So you're another fifteen dollars of supplies. All right, so we're all in like fifty bucks, maybe a little bit less. Yeah. And now my blueberry bush is planted. 
Do I have to do any upkeep? Do I have to water it ever so often? Uh, if you planted it proper, you should you should be pretty free and clear to walk away for almost two years, three years, really. Okay. And when will it start bearing fruit? It should the next season. So if you plant it in the spring, like right around now, like late February, early March, even mid-April, you water it good, then you cover the soil really well with lots of organic material, you walk away, you plant it in an acidic location, so like Georgia red clay, like by pine trees, that's what it likes, uh, get a high bush variety, and you walk away, and the next season, if you planted it right, it should be, you know, you're picking, I don't know how much fruit, but let's say at least a carton, so you're getting probably six, six to eight bucks, I mean, how much do fresh, no spray, organic blueberries cost? I don't know, you can't find them anywhere. <laughs> yeah, they're not, ava- they're not available. This yeah, is me, by the way. I have like clay backyard, pine needles everywhere. I'm like, you can't grow anything here. But to your point, certain things can grow in certain conditions. All right. So over the course of a whole season, I would get enough blueberries to maybe fill like one of those cartons. I think you'd maybe your first season get a small, good filled carton. Okay. At best. And then does it grow from there? Mm-hmm. Every year. So we moved into a property that probably had four different, you need different varieties of blueberries. If you're going to plant a blueberry plant, two separate varieties, they have to cross-pollinate for fruit production. So whoever planted our blueberries must have been the original owner who built the house in 79. These blueberries were very mature. We're getting like... Um, gallons like yeah (laughs) a a good gallon and a half and they weren't really well cared for so we're really trying to this year we'll compost them and fertilize them we've opened up their canopy a little bit and just loving on them and I think we're going to start getting a lot more and we planted eight more blueberries surrounding them so making a whole little blueberry alcove and then this fall we're going to try cutting our blueberries so you can take the cuttings and you can propagate it in some organic material and keep that moist in the winter and then you can replant it so now you have the exact same parent plant planted 50 different times and we're going to try to spread blueberries in a a much larger location and have a lot more blueberries i love that i love that so again the compounding growth right we talked about like not only are these bushes becoming more productive each year giving you more blueberries but then you propagate those trimmings and then now you have even more bushes and so it makes more and more all right so we've invested fifty dollars in this blueberry bush the first year maybe it gets me like ten dollars worth of blueberries that's already a 20 percent return on investment by the way right if we're talking about like where you're investing your money invest in your home invest in your farm like you're getting some of that money back pretty quickly yep. let's say the next year it doubles in production right you guys said you're getting a gallon from some of these bushes that's like probably what five to ten of those packages so it, let's say in, in year two, you're getting two of those things, that's 20 bucks. In year three, you get three of those things, that's 30 bucks. 30 plus 20 plus 10. You've now recouped that whole investment. You have a blueberry bush. It's continuing to produce more. Obviously, you're not going to retire on a blueberry bush. The reason I think this example is cool is because it highlights the principles. So if you can do this with a couple blueberry bushes and you do it with I'm going to sound like someone who knows nothing about farming here, but let's say you did that with a banana plant and corn stalks and a lot of the different things that we eat. If the principles are there that I can invest in growing these things and it's not that much of an upfront cost, but it's going to recoup my money over time and only continue to grow and compound, then when you start thinking about years 5, 10, 15, 20, that's how you get to 
something that's sustainable where you are getting most of your food from your land. You might be able to eliminate most of your food budget. So similar to you know real estate or house hacking, you're not retiring overnight off one house that you bought, but you are making significant progress in the way you live your life. And ultimately to Sarai's point, it's healthier food, it's more nourishing, it's better medicine, all of these things. Is that a fair way of looking at it? Yeah, I think the most amazing thing to that point is the system we're really trying to showcase in, in, in this is centropic farming in general. Like this is, we learned this, like we were taught this by Ernest. Um, this, this principle, this model, it does exactly what you're speaking of within, I, th- I think on an acre within five years of, of having to do everything by, by hand and back with no machinery because of having very limited startup costs. I think we'll be able to live almost 80% from our land, 80% of our caloric intake. And, and that's, this is why we're both working full-time jobs outside of taking care of our land. And I think if we were able to have you know, more resources and some machinery and some time, we could probably boil the whole cost of planting an entire acre food forest down to a total implementation cost and planting cost of under 20000 or maybe right around there, like at cost, not like the company not making any profit. But I think you give me $20,000 and some machinery, I can plant an acre, especially once we have an acre to pool material from, for very low cost. Yeah, that's so good. And again, like it just reiterates that if someone is interested in something like this, if someone is looking to become a homeowner, if they're thinking about the financial aspects or how it just affects your overall life, I mean, if you're saving five, six, seven hundred dollars a month on food, that's thousands of dollars a year that this home, this property, this land is now helping provide for you. That's incredible. And I think more people should be thinking about that. The, the, it's helping provide for you and, and it, the thing I want to emphasize is it's clean with no only grown with you know in harmony with nature it's having the resilience to live without being watered by man and human and you're hopefully able to save the seeds and replant things year after year after year the resiliency is is predominantly off the charts and that is going to lead as Soraya was mentioning to the most nutrient dense food for us to nourish our bodies and to nourish our communities so what are some other foods that are good to grow in Atlanta just based off its climate and environmental conditions well our spinach has been doing well (laughs) um that's right now though before it gets too hot um watermelon watermelon for sure Corn, I think, can do great in Georgia. Squash is going to do very well in Georgia. A lot of your fruits do very well in Georgia. Tomatoes. Tomatoes Tomatoes do really well in Georgia. Peppers. Nightshades do really well. They love Mm. the heat. They don't mind the drought for a period anyway. Um, Sweet potatoes. Elderberry or elderflowers, which has been really... A really lovely plant. Pawpaws. Pawpaws, which are native, like a mango and ban- banana had a baby. There's so much that we're still experimenting with. Blackberries, we've struggled with strawberries, but I think we're figuring, bettering our relationship with them. Asparagus seems to do very well, but it needs a lot of 
um, soil amendments because it likes a basic soil. And Georgia's got mostly red clay and acidic soil. I, I would say pawpaws, blackberries, blueberries are some of the easiest that I've found to grow. That's I mean, that's amazing. That's such a good list. It's like making me a little bit hungry. And it's a lot of the core stuff, right? When you go to the grocery store, you get lettuce, tomato, peppers, things that, you know, you cook with all the time. Very, very cool. All right. Well, this has been amazing. I want to go ahead and take it to our last four questions. The final four. These are four questions that we ask all of our guests just to get to know a little bit more about you. So I guess we'll go one at a time. Maybe start with Soraya. Soraya, number one question. What is your morning routine if you have one? My morning routine nowadays is I wake up, I wait for Matt to finish his three-minute cold shower, and then I jump in my whatever time I feel cold shower, (laughs) and then uh, go for a walk with Matt, Coffee, and our dog. (laughs) Love that. Uh, Number two, what is your biggest goal for this year? Um, To get our Airbnb up and running, baby. Love that. And this is at the home you talked about, right? Correct. So you're now going to have, um, you have the two units that you can rent out. One's going to be Airbnb plus the food that you're growing off of that. I think that's so cool. Yeah. Plus chickens. Plus chicken. I meant to ask about that. I guess I'll ask real quick. How realistic is it to have like chickens laying eggs or cows producing milk? Um, chickens are far more realistic depending on the space that you have. Also depending on county regulations. Um, and if you have a good piece of land, yeah, I mean... Also, having a dairy cow is realistic and definitely a dream of mine in the future. Very cool. Uh, okay, number three. What is your favorite thing to do in Atlanta? Oof. Um, go out to eat and drink. And <laughs> something I'd love to do more of is bike my way in between doing that <laughs> in Atlanta. That's Very cool. I guess the more they build out the belt line will help with that. <laughs> and number four. Where can people find out more about you or get in touch with you, especially if they're interested in homesteading, purchasing land, doing something like that? Yeah. Um, honestly, Instagram is my most used uh, sort of online platform, if you will. And I'm also featured on Latitude's website. So that's just uh, www.chooselatitude.com and my bio will be there and also does a good job of talking a little bit more about what regenerative real estate is. Love it. All right, Matt, we'll go to you. Final four. Number one, what is your morning routine? Well, Soraya kind of uh, spilled the beans on that. I, I hop out of bed, I use the restroom, and then immediately turn the shower to as cold as it gets and uh, take a deep breath in, take a deep breath out, start the timer and get in. And I've been doing that since January 1st. So that's been the best morning routine that I've found. Love it. Number two, what is your biggest goal for this year? I'm very excited to announce this. It's actually to incorporate prayer into my life more and to stop letting my busyness get in the way of me just saying gratitudes and thanks and like wishing things and hoping for things and just like putting it out there, sharing it with Soraya, just participating in that a lot more regularly than I do normally. Beautiful. Uh, number three, what is your favorite thing to do in Atlanta? Favorite thing to do <laughs> is definitely a comfy chicken biscuit from Homegrown. Yes. I, I, if I get to start my morning at Homegrown, then it's been one of the best days in the 
Atlanta I can have. <laughs> Off the memorial, everybody to check them out. So good. So good. And number four, where can people find out more about you or get in touch with you? Uh, the best place, like Sarai, you can check me out on Instagram at thekindfarmer. And uh, you can send me a message at 808-646-0521. That's probably the best way I will uh, definitely get back to you. Amazing. Thank you guys so much. That is it for today's episode. Thank you to everyone who made it this far. I really hope that you all enjoyed the show and got something useful out of it. I was pumped to interview Matt and Soraya because again, I just think that they have such a fresh perspective. They're incredible individuals. Their hearts are bigger than anyone that I know. And they have a unique view on food and land and real estate and life. And I just love the way it all comes together in a very syntropic way. So I hope that you guys got something out of this. I'm sure you did. And if you made it this far, thank you again for just supporting this. I want to continue to grow this and share it with more people. If you enjoyed this episode and can think of someone else that's sort of interested in homesteading or anything that Matt and Sarai are up to, definitely share it with them. Feel free to leave us a five-star review. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. We will be posting these once a week and would love any feedback or comments that you all have. So if you enjoyed this episode, let us know. Show Matt and Sarai some love. And if you have questions for them, I'm sure they'll get on there and help answer. Uh, and lastly, if you're looking to buy, sell, or invest in Atlanta real estate, you can also get in touch with me. I'm on Instagram at RealMikeLacy. You can email me at MikeLacy at AtlantaFineHomes.com. Thank you again. Have an amazing week. And thank you all as well.